Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. I love journaling, and I've loved journaling since high school, and I love journaling as a form of prayer. But lately, I've been waking up a little cranky, which I can't imagine why (laughs) there's not anything that would make you a little cynical or sarcastic or hating the world or feeling like everything is bad. Nothing like that going on. So lately I've been waking up cranky and I realized that like my everyday kind of prayer ritual is not going to cut it. I kind of need like the double prayer (laughs) to up my ante of prayer if I'm going to be able to like wake up into this world and not just have a day where I'm like pissed the whole day, right? Um, so I I uh, start off with prayer in a, in a way that's kind of inspired by the Ignatius Examine. And basically, uh, all you do is you start your journaling with, um, these are three ways that I am experiencing God. Just naming three ways that you are experiencing God. Most of the mornings when I'm waking up feeling like extra cranky, I can't write how I'm feeling God with integrity right away. Like it's like there's a pause where it's like I can I know I can fake it but how am I actually feeling God move? And I have my pen and my journal and there's this space between the pen and paper because I'm not sure how I'm experiencing God move. And I'm grateful for the witness of the Bible because it is a whole book full of people who are having the kind of days where you wake up kind of cranky or cynical. We remember the witness of Hagar, a recently homeless single mom left to die in the desert And as her feet pressed against the sand, holding her only son, she cried out to God and God showed up. And we remember the witness of Isaiah, a prophet who pleaded with his people to strive for justice, to love God again. Otherwise, ruin would befall their city. And after that ruin came and everyone was blasted into diaspora away from each other, God still showed up with the song on their lips. And we remember the witness of Paul and Silas who were arrested and who uh, were locked away in the deepest cell. And they started praying to God and they found out that God is a God who shows up and when God does their prayers are strong enough to break prisons. Jesus himself is named Emmanuel not because God is planning on showing up, not because God will show up once things calm down, not God will show up once we feel comfortable and cozy and spiritual, not because God is on the sidelines, but because God is with us. Jesus is named Emmanuel, God on earth, because it is proof that God is with us no matter what type of morning we are having. Cut back to me with my journal. 
with the space between my pen and the journal. And God's saying, I need you to press in. I need you to open your eyes of faith and your heart of faith to start perceiving how I am moving in the world because my power is there like subterranean water coursing through this planet that is on fire on the surface and yet deep below, underneath all of that, God is saying, I'm moving. I'm here. I showed up. And so through journaling, God says, will you show up, Tyler? So I try to press in and put that first bullet point with a little bit of effort. Because you know what happens when you pray, right? Like all those voices in the back of your head start coming in that's like, prayer doesn't really make a difference. Prayer doesn't matter. Spiritual, I have so much stuff to do. Why am I doing spiritual practices? I can't, didn't we pray yesterday? Won't we pray tomorrow? We can totally just skip today. Prayer, Tyler, come on. And it's like all, it's all coming. The voices are saying, don't touch that pen to that paper. Don't touch that pen to that paper. And I put that first bullet point and I look around me desperately and I'm like, well, I guess the stupid tree with the stupid fall colors is kind of nice. And God's like, see, hard part's over. Tyler, God told me, when are you going to start showing up to your life? It kind of felt like a read, um, but, if, but upon further reflection, perhaps there was the tone of, a compassionate parent who knew that uh, if I was just dared into a greater way of being, that I might take the bait. And God said, I know that you have the tools to allow my spirit to move in the world because I showed you that your spiritual ancestors had those same tools. Hagar is the first person in the Bible to give God a name. Even in her desperation, she was able to speak a name of God into history. Isaiah, even in diaspora, was able to preach a comforting word, comfort, oh comfort, my people, so that people even in diaspora and despair might be able to experience that God of comfort. Paul and Silas were able to pray the prayers that broke prisons, but it wasn't just their own chains that they broke. Through their hymns, through their songs, they were able to break everyone's chains. And for those folks, when do you think that started? When everything was just a peaceful, serene prayer garden. When people were just frolicking along with enough money and everything is fine and there's no poor or oppressed people. Do you think they waited to create a revolution of resurrection when things got good? 
because I don't think that's what the Bible says. I think the Bible says that the people who woke up cranky found prayer and then went and did something that was outrageously compassionate and liberative are the folks who started living liberation into the world. Those are the folks who discovered resurrection in their hands and started living it in their body. And that is the invitation for us, my family, in all of our ways of showing up to the world, we can live resurrection into being. But of course, by then it starts to get a little bit exciting because then it's like, wait a second, if you're telling me that with one bullet point, I can start to feel a certain connection to something that is greater than myself, what happens if I write a second one or a third one? Are you telling me, God, that if I live a life of prayer and worship, that that will flow through and create a type of power in the world that will change the realities that we're seeing? Are you telling me that if I have the spiritual heart to perceive what you are doing in the world, then I will be able to step into those streams? Are you saying that the living waters that Jesus talked about are still being poured out even when the world is on fire? Show me where to sign up, God. Tell me how many bullet points of gratitude I need to create in order for me to be able to step even further in to your spirit. God, I want to be part of something that leaves the world a little bit more like the kingdom of God than when I found it. God, I want to be an agent of peace in the world. I want to be dealing out hope. I want to be a spy for the kingdom. I want to see in all of your creation and glory exactly how you're moving into the world because I've seen through my ancestors and in the story of my own life that you are a God who shows up and by being a God who shows up that means that even tomorrow can have hope in it even today can have hope in it for the people who have been committing to this type of love training for a while for the folks who have continued this practice and I don't mean just like sitting in the back of church and texting. I mean like practicing love training for folks who have been practicing this for a while. You know that God doesn't stay contained in the areas of life where it's convenient to be spiritual, right? Like it's like, well, of course I, I want to be a, a maker of justice. And so that's why I'm going to go to this protest or this is why I'm going to light uh, write a letter to my representative, or this is why I'm going to vote. Please vote. Uh, but God's like, you know, justice happens in protests, but justice is the accumulation of a thousand more conversations, right? I'm like, oh, shoot. And then there's like love. And of course I want to practice love in uh, my interpersonal relationships, but God's like, you know, there are ways of showing up to the world, even for the folks who aren't your closest favorite people that can demonstrate love. And I'm like, oh, huh. And then I remember uh, Sabbath and Sabbath rest and, and dedicating a whole day to resting. And God's like, you know, when I say that uh, bear my cross, but it is an easy yoke, I mean that you're supposed to be like incorporating rest 
into your whole week and not just like one dedicated day. Keep the dedicated day, but like rest is supposed to be like a like a more than once a week occasion. And I'm like, huh. And God's like, you know, when I say generosity, I don't just mean like being generous with your time or giving a listening ear or uh, or uh, dedicating like the things that you have already to to the cause, even though that's part of it. God's like, I want you to show up to your life in your financial life as well. And I know that uh, for a lot of progressives, uh, that's a little triggering or that's a little like, like there's like a lot of like fight or flight that comes up because in part because of the debate that we witnessed this past week. And it's like, wow, it sure seems like people who are obsessed with money don't show up well to the world understatement. And so it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of like, I don't want to spend too much time thinking about money because I don't want to be like the person who thinks too much about money. You know, like I, I make sure that I get by and I, I try to donate to what I can and I, I you know, I, I try to do what I can. But I don't want to be like a money person. And God was like, <laughs> um, I don't know if these were the exact words, but God's like, Boo-boo, that is not how you relate to money. <laughs> because the thing about money is that if you don't think about money, it pretty much guarantees that money will be a controlling factor in your life. So I think that invitation for Christians is to kind of create a third way. Like it's not this like, cha-la-la, it'll just work out. I don't need to think about money even though like it's I know it's important and I know that I don't have it but it'll just work out tra -la -la. and and then another way being like I'm obsessed with money and I'm only driven by the acquisition of money like I don't think that those are our only two options I think that there's a way that we can be attentive to money attentive to really the resources that we're stewarding in a way that allows us to be able to, in the long run, think less about money and be able to be more free to practice generosity. There's a certain amount of like familiarity with your budget that eventually, if it gets to a certain level, starts to feel like it's not so scary anymore. I learned this, uh, or at least a metaphor for this, in the Heal the Space sermon series uh, many months ago, which was really an awesome sermon series. I encourage you to check it out. And I just realized, like, there were totes in my closet, this is literally speaking, that had things in it that I didn't know what was in it. And without knowing it, that sucked away so much of my energy because my mind was like, what is that? And why is it taking up space? <laughs> right? And when we start thinking critically and with certain skill about money, it's kind of the equivalent of taking out the tote that you don't know what's in it and sorting through it and not like being obsessed with it, but just having an understanding of what we're dealing with. That's all that money management is, is like, okay, what's going on? What am I dealing with, right? And so I think that stewardship is a, a, a way of saying like, God, you have entrusted me 
with certain things in the world to be able to affect change to create the kingdom of God. And money is absolutely one of those things. And if I don't count all the things in my life, if I don't take inventory of all the things in my life to ask the question of how I can create the kingdom of God, then I have a feeling I'm not stepping as far into God's will, into God's vision for the world, into the stream of liberation as I could be. The other day, I found like a whole like little hidden wad of cash that I didn't have. And I was like, if I knew that I had this cash, I would have made different decisions, but I didn't even know what was there. So I, I think that financial literacy is really like we're creating a budget that um, that isn't scary, but is rather just a statement of what is there. Because once all the pieces are on the table, then you can start making strategies and, and plays with it, right? So it was funny because like I was all fired up. I was like, yes, I want to be like the leaves. I want to change. I want to see God in the world. And God's like, yeah, that's even in the parts that are extremely boring or scary or mundane. God wants to move through all of that. And gosh, I've uh, done a fair amount of financial literacy training and I've really improved a lot in my budget skills over the last several years. But I can definitely tell that in COVID, my relationship to money has kind of been like, I need to make sure I have enough. And then I'm going to kind of like worry about other stuff. <laughs> and the reason why I wanted to bring this up, the urgency of, of revisiting our financial situation, the reason why I wanted to bring it up is because we're talking about how to survive in 2020, how to make it in one piece in this sermon series. And if, if there is um, a certain financial desperation or financial reality that you're not aware of, that will come to fruition in December, this sermon is giving you a head start to try to start dealing with that. So that means like checking in and seeing what the profile of your debt looks like. That means like creating a budget of how you intend to spend money over the next month. That means looking at your expenses and sorting them out. There are apps that can do this free. Um, and just sorting them out and, and seeing where your money is actually going, right? And a lot of people are like, when, when I have to create a budget, that means I can't do anything fun. And it's like, I'm, I'm an Enneagram 7. Like, I want you to have fun. Hello? Hello? <laughs> I want you to have fun. Of course I do. I just think that it's not that fun to be in financial desperation during the coldest months of the year. And you know what? For some of you, you might come to realize like, oh shoot, I am in a little bit of a financial problem or I am I have my back against a wall. I know that that's a scary place to be and I invite you to breathe through this because it's like the, the more that that fear like pains you, the less you'll want to look at money down the road, right? So like, okay, breathe into this. This is hard, but you can do hard things. It's time to start praying. Start praying to God for being able to receive your daily bread. 
And the reason why I believe this is important is not because I believe in prosperity gospel at all or like the more faithful you are, the more Mercedes Benzes you'll be able to drive. Yeah, so a note about prosperity gospel. <laughs> like the reading that we had today was from 2 Corinthians uh, and Paul is trying to animate his community in Corinth to donate to the poor in Jerusalem. And it's like the opposite of prosperity gospel if you read it <laughs> paul's like listen you will not see any type of material return on this investment like you are going to uh the the money that you give will go to this community in jerusalem which like there's some spiritual reparation perhaps or um spiritual owing perhaps necessary because like Jesus did his work in Jerusalem and we all are being set free because of that guy. Like there's a certain spiritual commitment to that, but Paul's like, you're not gonna, this isn't gonna make you rich. This is going to make you be able to live richly. This is, this is about abundance, interior abundance, right? Like that's, it's not prosperity gospel. And, and furthermore, Paul was like, I want you to give from a place of honesty. Paul wasn't interested in extorting people. He's like, listen, I God loves a cheerful giver. And that's not just like a shamey thing that Southern people say. It's like, when you are cheerfully giving, that is an internal check that things are going the way that they're supposed to go. Like giving from a place of like, loving to give. That's what Paul's trying to encourage in folks, like discover the richness and the beauty and the satisfaction really from giving. Um, and that is how we will discover generosity. And that's how we'll be able to fuel the ministries that make us all a little bit more free, not prosperity gospel. But I really do believe that prayer calibrates our senses for how we show up to the world. And if there is a prayer on our heart, it'll change how you perceive the answer to that prayer in the world. Because I have a feeling that God is sending a lot of answers to prayers that we can't even see because we're so wrapped up in our own stuff. So start praying about it. And of course, start engaging community about it. Not necessarily um, texting everyone in your contact list, asking them for 50 bucks. That may not go well for you, but just asking for people to support you in prayer uh, for how you're doing this. I know that uh, uh, New City Church small groups are starting with Life Together groups, with book groups. Yay. If you're starting a group um, this season, by the way, type group into the chat because I just love to see that. Like, these are the kinds of things that you bring up as prayer concerns to the community and say, like, hey... I did an honest assessment of where I am, and I'm not in a great spot, so please pray for provision that I can perceive. And it does change things, right? Like, it doesn't give you, like, 10 Mercedes-Benzes. I just say Mercedes-Benz because I heard that they're expensive. I have no idea what I'm talking about in terms of cars. If it gives you 10 helicopters, 10 submarines? That's what I asked for for my first Christmas that I can remember, by the way, a submarine. 
God doesn't give you your Christmas wish list. God gives you your daily bread to be able to make it just to the next day sometimes. And, uh, and that's what our prayer is. And the other, on the other flip side of it, like the reason why getting a, a, an honest glimpse at your financial situation is important is because some of you have had reduced expenses during COVID and there's more money around than maybe you realized. And what you choose to do with that money is a reflection of your commitments and values. And uh, I think that perhaps the worst thing that you could do is just let it uh, uh, numbly, unconsciously sit to rot and you ignore it, right? Like, if you're going to be a saver, be a saver. Have goals for what you're saving for. Know why you're saving, right? Like, if you're going to be someone who finds an ethical investment to fund in, like, heck yeah, go for it. If you're going to be someone who's like, I need to practice generosity because I feel the grip of greed starting to cling to me a little bit too much, yeah, heck yeah, let your generosity disciple you, right? Like, there are definitely ways that how we deal with surplus is just as indicative of our faith as how we deal with deficit. And so pray about it, right? And and I do want to name, like, something else that budgeting teaches me month after month is like sometimes I think I need a lot more than I do. Like sometimes I actually have um, more dollars that I can employ outward towards the kingdom of God than like what my living situation actually requires. That's just my personal story. I know that many people have lots of different relationships with money and financial situations. I'm just naming that sometimes you would be surprised by the things that God puts in your life to be able to further ministry in the world. I mean, like, look at what this past six months has been at New City Church. In, like, the first week of COVID, we raised, like, $10,000 to be able to provide a month of meals for Simpson Housing Shelter, for people experiencing homelessness, right? Like... Uh, when the uprising was going on, we created a solidarity fund, which still exists, by the way, that fundraised for organizations that were doing work on the ground that created microloans that are like getting people in our church community out of very tough situations, right? Um, uh, that is supporting anti-racism work, including like our anti-racist vacation Bible school, which was amazing. Like... There is something about collectivizing our financial effort to show a big push uh, toward the kingdom of God. Like each of our individual generosities can make a bigger difference than each of us individually trying to go it alone. And that's kind of what I think financial relationship with the church means is that we're just doing a big push together to try to create a world that is more liberative, more grounded in faith, more... Uh, apparent how the resurrection of Jesus is playing through. That's what we're about. And I'm moved by the people who have created consistent commitments, like weekly and monthly commitments, to be a part of our big push, of our financial big push in the world. Because those are the types of things that remind us of the generosity of God and how we can continue to show up to generosity in the world. And that by practicing this open-handedness, we can undo 
this kind of like obsession with scarcity thinking, right? Like generosity frees us from that. And by practicing that individually, we do more collectively. This is something that I think is pretty important for you to start praying about over uh, before you get into the winter, right? Um, and your financial life with the church, for sure. But also just like getting your house in order. Like, what is your financial situation? What are the uh, things that you anticipate coming up? Is there a little bit of an emergency fund that if a tire blows out or if emergency happens, like you're able to use a little bit of that money so that that emergency doesn't turn into a crisis? Like, you know, just start starting to be wise about those things. Um, I think is something that should happen before the winter. For sure should happen before the winter. I, I If you're like the average person who experiences a Minnesota winter, and now that there are people outside of Minnesota, a, a, a northern winter even, like it's harder to will yourself to do those kind of like mundane tasks when you're in the throes of winter. At least it is for me. So, so getting on top of this, I think is really important. So here's your challenge for the week. Do a prayerful financial inventory of your life. Check out your uh, bank statements, categorize where this money is going, see how prayerfully God is calling you to steward things, bring those concerns to your community or what you're discovering to your community, uh, including, I should mention, like, there's someone who does financial literacy training in our community. If you are like really in need of some help, we have connections to people who would love to do that within our community. So uh, let, let us know. But just just pull, open up the hood, like of a car, but of your finances, and just see what's going on. Because uh, come this winter, uh, it, it'll just be a little bit cozier, a little bit more sure, if you have a stronger sense of what you have at your disposal to do ministry with in the world. If you are excited about this challenge, go ahead and put an exclamation point into the comments. I know that some of you are like, I just threw up a little bit in my mouth, but I believe that Jesus is calling me to do things that are hard. So, <laughs> so go on in. And I just want to pray. May all of this be that moment when the pen connects to the paper, when your body perceives that God is moving in the world, that God shows up, and that through money, we have a certain opportunity to show up in a very unique way as well. May we all show up, my family.